take that whatever something <laughs> that didn't ever believe in me thing that you were that said I would never amount <laughs> to anything. Uh, anyway. Welcome to Geeks Without God with Molly Glover, Nick Glover, and Tim Wick. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We don't recognize moral authority. We don't accept divine superiority. We're geeks, geeks without God. This week on Geeks Without God, our guest is Bob Alberti, and 40 years ago, he helped create the first massively multiplayer online role-playing game. No, seriously, it's called Scepter of Goth, and we'll talk about it. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, geeks without God. Welcome to Geeks Without God. I'm your host, Molly Glover, joined as always by my co-hosts, Tim Wick. Hello, I am Tim Wick. And Nick Glover. Hello, I am Nick Glover. I thought maybe if I said your names with more oomph, you would remember it was your turn to say your thing. <laughs> you both I said, said, I said, made fun my, of me. I said my thing. All right. And we are joined by our guest, frequent friend of the show, Bob Alberti. Hello, Bob. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? How's, how's, uh, you, your, how's your snowbird life? Um, well, it could be warmer. It, it snowed <laughs> down here. Um, upset the locals quite a bit. You're in, uh, you're, are, are you in Tucson? Are you in Tucson or outskirts of Tucson, Bob? I am in the, uh, if, if, if Tucson were the Twin Cities, I am in the St. Cloud of Tucson. Um, so I am way outside of town in the middle of nowhere, a, uh, a depressed old mining town that shut down ages ago. Freely giving away your assassination coordinates. <laughs> no, there's a lot of these. So actually, it's not. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a, gonna be a foot sore old uh, assassin out there going from looking, town to town trying to find me. Let me tell you. If you're yeah. looking for a good book to read while you're in an abandoned mining town in Arizona, may I recommend Stephen King's Desperation? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so Bob is here because it is the 40th anniversary of Scepter of Goth, the world's first commercially released MMORPG. Whoa. Bob, you helped me. Right? That's exactly exactly right. I I can, I I have to claim like partial credit for various things that I've accomplished. Uh, I was only one of the authors of Internet Gopher, and it was a team effort, blah, blah, blah. But the idea to create a commercial MMORPG was all out of my own brain cell. That's so that awesome. one I'll claim complete credit. In. That's fucking now, awesome, I didn't... Bob. Seriously. <laughs> Does it say that? That's like well, huge, I, I, that's a huge thing you... in the video game industry. Does it have, it, it, is your it's... name on Wikipedia, on the Wikipedia article about it or, or not? Um. Despite everything that I have done, I there are no Wikipedias about me. There's not a Wikipedia um, I don't article. How that happens? Uh, but I, if I wanted Wikipedia, I'd have to become a porn actress. <laughs> they all have one. However, Bob, if you look up uh, "mud," the Wikipedia entry for uh, multi-user dungeons, they mm-hmm. talk about the they talk about uh, Scepter of Goth, and they do mention your name. The, well, there um, you go. The uh, the page I found was D D Wheeler, who says that yes. uh, he was lead scepter developer. Yep. Uh, and yep, talks a lot about the early history and and uh, 
uh, at, at Minnesota. So that's if, if anybody is on here being like, wait a minute, Bob Alberti, the vilifier, he is the guy. He's the guy. It's yeah. just the fucking truth. The uh, the the Wikipedia entry notes: uh, It's the first commercial mud franchises were sold to a number of locations. Scepter was first owned and run by Gambit of Minneapolis, Minnesota, founded by Bob Alberti. Ooh. Gambit's assets were later sold to Interplay Productions, who they're the people that created Fallout. Whoa, Bob! And you could you could have been rich if you hadn't sold. Um. Uh, I think those are two different interplays. Oh, uh, the interplay oh. that it was sold to uh, uh, collapsed and burned very shortly after we sold it to him. Hmm. Um, so to tell you that story, I got to tell yeah, you this one. So I'll yeah, back up. Start start at the beginning. I want to hear. I, I mean, literally, I'm very excited. I want to hear everything about this. Okay. Uh, the first thing your listeners should do is put this on pause and go out, and they should watch the tpt.org slash solid dash state that's the whole url tpt.org slash solid dash state um it's a wonderful documentary about computers in the twin cities um and i'm actually in it for all of about half of one second in a photo um but a lot of my former bosses are in it uh so minnesota was silicon valley before there was silicon valley uh coming out of world war ii minnesota had univac honeywell uh sperry control data it ibm 3m it had all the technologies um and so by the 1970s uh cray came out of uh uh controlled data it was um and so uh um so what happened was uh somebody had the bright idea to put a teletype in all of the high schools all over uh, the state of Minnesota, and then provide all of them a direct dial line into a mainframe that was located at the intersection of Broadway Avenue and Highway 280 uh, <laughs> in Lauderdale. I know that place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, there's, a, there's a truck dealership there now. Yeah. Um, but um, that's where it was. And so in 1976 and 1977, you could get on a 110 baud modem and dial up and get in and you could have interactive chats with people. You could play interactive muds what you would call a mud these days, interactive role-playing games. Um, my favorite game at the time was a text-based ship-to-ship combat game hmm. um, where everything was laid out in terms of azimuth and orientation and, and direction. And, and, and you had to visualize the whole flying space that you're in. Um, and so these things all existed in 76 and 77 when I was just a child. Um, and that went along great guns until about 1983. And in 1983, Apple computers came to the state of Minnesota and said, mainframe computers are are old and, and passe. If you want to be modern and new, take an Apple II computer and put it in every school around Minnesota and get rid of those mainframes. And um, that's why for many years in the 1980s and 1990s, you could find Apple II computers gathering dust on shelves in these various schools around the country, around the state. So uh, I had been part of this online community um, for many, many years, for seven years at that point, six or seven years. And when we heard Apple was shutting down, the state of Minnesota was shutting down all the mainframes, it was literally as if somebody came to you and said, oh, We've decided to turn off the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, that's absurd, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. we thought. That, 
that's why would you, nuts. Why would you turn off infrastructure? Like, what what is the exactly. point of that? To sell more computers for Apple. Some sales guy got a nice boat out of this whole deal. <laughs> um, and so I was literally home for summer uh, between uh, years of college and walking down the road by my house. And I thought, you know what? I bet people would pay money to maintain this community. Mm. So I reached out to the guy who had written a game called Milieu, uh, Alan Cleats. He had this game that he had written. And um, that's where we started the company. I got my dad involved because my dad knew how to do business. Um, and he got a guy involved named Jerry Leone who knew how to do marketing. And we were off to the races. Um, and that's where Scepter of Goth came from. Uh, we renamed Milieu Scepter. Yep, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, just go, go ahead. Uh, I just said so we re renamed Milieu Scepter, um, and then Alan wrote the interfaces for the chat room and the email. We had another online game. It was a play-by-email game called Foreign Intrigue, which was basically diplomacy hmm. with the name filed off. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we, we had an automated butler in our chat room named Jeeves, and Jeeves could answer questions for you, you and do basic Jeeves? things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had Jeeves in 1984. Um, so this all went fine, except, oh, uh, yes, what is it, Molly? Real, just real quick, uh, Tim, you mentioned before we started, uh, when we were all uh, swinging around our dicks of how long we've been on the internet, yeah. you said that you played Oregon Trail on a teletype. Do, was it one of these teletype machines that was in the in the mainframe? Uh, it wasn't because I'm 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 a few years younger than Bob, not not too many years younger than, but but okay. but a few years younger. Uh, my dad worked for Control Data, and he would uh, every now and again he would bring home like this teletype thing that had a modem. Uh, that you could put your, yeah. your phone into, and me and my brother would like, we, yeah, yeah, and me and my brother would like play games on that, on that yeah. teletype when he it, wasn't it doing like, work. So one of the games that yeah, we could it play was like Oregon you were playing Trail. On one of those, one of those machines, just not in the school. That's crazy. Right. That's that's yeah. that's such a fun connection. Okay, all right. Sorry, that was all. I just remembered that you said that before we started, and I was like, oh shit, that's that same machine. Yeah. So all right, so you rename it Scepter, Bob. And you're you're trying to you're going to launch it commercially. Yep. So we we did. We launched it commercially. We we uh, you know you talk about that entrepreneurial thing. It was constant work, nonstop work to get this up and running. Um, but uh, we were running for about a year, and our we had an accountant, and he came to us and he said, "You should probably pay yourselves for this because." You've earned twenty four thousand dollars, and it'll just get taxed at corporate rates if oh, you don't wow. give yourself a paycheck. Yeah, and so that's where I got my that's where I got my car. I got my Mazda that's out so of great. that. Huh. Um. So what's funny is, uh, you know, Tim was mentioning uh, the the Oregon Trail game that he played. A game I played was actually the first game I played was called Lunar Lander. Oh yeah, um, which I played. Yeah, I was a freshman uh, in high school. And what's notable about that is there is a fellow named Mark Peterson who has resurrected all of these things, and he has them available on an SH, SSH available machine um, mm -hmm. called muinet.com, Winet. Um, and you can log into it. I can give you the information to put on your website. Um, but you can log in, create a free account, and you can go in and play Scepter of Goth. You can play Lunar Lander. You can play... Uh, Oregon Trail, 
Uh, you can play Star Trek. There's all you can play that inter intership combat game that I was talking about. He's got them all out there. That's, I've seen. So I'm, you know, my intro into computer stuff was very ahead of of things for my age. But I didn't really start, you know, until like Commodore sixty four was my first computer, and and we had an acoustic coupler for that to go into to BBSs. And I we I've definitely seen web emulators for door games for for bbs's around around the games you could run on your bbs server and people could play and have you know multi-user interaction and stuff um but then i've seen people do the same thing where they have an ssh server out there that's just running uh you know you you would you dial in by ssh and you can make an account and Play Legend of the Red Dragon and romance oh that bartender and play Dragon. Usurper. I was yeah. married to so many people in that game. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I was reading a little bit about this, it looked like, so what ended up happening was, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, this is from D. Wheeler's site, but it looked like you sold things to Interplay and then the the guy in charge of that was charged with tax evasion. And so it all sort of fell apart from there. Yeah, GameBit experienced just about every bad thing that can happen to a company in a very hmm. short period of time. Um, well, the first thing we did was we hired a programmer to help out with the coding, and he immediately copied our software and then tried to sell it. Um, <laughs> and he tried to sell it using our own chat room. So oh it, made it, fairly, it made it fairly simple to catch him red-handed. Um, so we fired him, and he took his copy of software, and he set up a competing business in the twin cities for $10 a month as compared to our about $2, $3 an hour rate, which was exorbitantly high, but yeah. we were the only game. Yeah, um, so yeah. he, set up, he set up at $10 a month and all of our customers just went over there. Um, I could not get my business partners to do anything about it uh, in part because the legal system didn't know what a computer was back then. Sure. And, uh, their argument was that by the time we sue him, he'll probably go out of business because the software will collapse without support anyway, which was true. It was still infuriating as hell. It's like Pam um, and Tommy. Honestly, it's like the Pamela Anderson sex tape situation where it's like it's already out there. So it's it's been copied. It's on computers. It's done. Like you can sue all you want, but like it's not going to change the fact that it's taken. Yeah. Right. So then we were stuck because we didn't have any income. We thought, well. We can franchise this. So we took out an ad in PC User Magazine and said, hey, do you want to build a franchise? We ended up franchising to 13 cities around the U.S. and Canada. And one of our franchisees was Interplay in, in Falls River, Virginia. And they're the ones who turned around and offered to buy us out. Um, that was Denny Flanders. Denny Flanders ended up uh, committing 18 counts of tax evasion by claiming his home as a church. Um, and <laughs> Oh, what an asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so the whole thing just, boom, was gone one day, you know. And so this is, I'd worked for this, I'd worked on this for four or five years of my life at that point. Um, you know, my, my I had a re personal relationship that was collapsing at the same time. And so it all just, you know, 1987 was a very bad year for me. Let's put it that way. Hmm. Um, and so that's... Uh, that was the story of Gamebit. Um, what, what was funny was that. Hmm? Oh, so go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you continue. It's okay. Uh, I was just going to say what was funny is um, 
uh, I didn't graduate from college until 2012. And when I did so, um, I did a, a capstone paper about Gamebit. And I needed a, a an academic who could assess the quality and accuracy and, you know, of my paper for grading. Huh. And so I reached out to uh, Professor Richard Bartle, who is the guy who created the first MUD, <laughs> non-commercial. But he created the first MUD. He's now UK, a professor right? at Essex University in the, in the United Kingdom. And he has a book called Designing Virtual Worlds, where he documents that Scepter of Goth, Goth is the first commercial MUD created at the same time independently as his MUD with Alan Trumpshaw. Um, and so that was a wonderful opportunity to connect with him. Um, I later traveled to England and met him and we went to a pub and hung out together and it was a great old time. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a fun way to, uh, to to kind of connect up with someone who'd been doing pretty much the same thing at the same time. Yeah, I saw that uh, Milieu and Bartle's Mud are basically considered it's impossible to know which came first. So they are both right. the first mud, but then Scepter of Goth is the first commercial. Uh-huh. Like, and that's and that's where the difference lies. Uh, yes, yeah, t- t- sorry, Tim. I th- I th- can we? Can you describe the game? Game a little bit about the gameplay. We're talking about the history, but yeah. I feel like. What what was yeah. Scepter of Goth? Was it a Scepter with like dark eyeliner? Was it um or or maybe is it Goths? Oh, Goth of course did not have any particular meaning oh. at that point oh, okay. in terms of eyeliner. yeah those people were um, called dark siders <laughs> at the time um, Minneapolis maybe, you know in I think it was just, <laughs> it was just a name we pulled out of the air uh, vaguely reminiscent of Gothic in terms of you know romantic mm-hmm. swords and sorcery kinds of stuff. Um, the gameplay is a simple text mud, you know, when you log in, it says what kind of character you want to be. It gives you some stats. It drops you in the town square. Um, you then are, words. I think you know what I mean? everything is in text descriptions. Yep. There's no pictures. There's not like, nope. it's not using characters to draw pictures. It is just describing it like a book. It's not like a uh, rogue. The, uh, no, not like rogue. Yeah. Uh, with text-based video mud. Yeah. yeah. No, it's more like Advent. If you've ever played a Colossal Cave Adventure, um, it's very much like that. It says, you are in the town square. You see a statue and a chest. Exits are north, east, and west. And you can say, examine statue. You see a statue of Alan Cleats, who invented this game. <laughs> uh, look, chest. In the chest, you find a suit of armor and a sword. You know, take sword from chest. Use sword. Um, and you type these things out, you go east, it says you encounter a rabid rat, you know, attack rat, you type and hit return and the rat attacks you and, you know, and there's shops you can go into to buy and sell things. Um, was there a story? And, uh, there, there was a whole story and plot It you know, it never got carried to its fruition. Um, one of the challenges at the time was that. There was no economic structure to the game, hmm. but we recognized that um, it was very hard to charge money for goods that spontaneously appear out of dead monsters. Um, so how do you charge five gold pieces for a sword when every dead orc drops a sword? Hmm. Um, and that this represented an accumulation of of wealth within the game economics, which would eventually lead the economics to be completely cockeyed which that's exactly what happened and so we had a a whole um actually this is alan's invention alan did this the first time in milieu 
which is when he uh, he resets the game through a cataclysmic uh, triumph of beating the ultimate boss. Oh, sure. um, so he actually did this, and and arguably this is the first example of online theater because he actually ran this interactively with his players. Uh, and this is back on Milieu on, on the mech system where someone defeated the the big boss. Uh, the world collapsed around their ears. Things happened to them. And then they were told, here is a new day. You are starting over. Everyone's starting over at level one. And mm-hmm. the database is that. So um, I don't know that there had been interactive online events prior to that. Right. So another curiosity. That's really cool. Did- did it then become a race to see who could? Because I feel like if someone else beat the the big bad guy and my progress got wiped when everyone got started over, my response would be, uh, "Well, fuck you! I'm gonna beat the boss this time, and you're gonna get your character wiped." Like that. That to me gives me a a competitive drive right away. Did you did you see that? We we never got to that point um, oh, okay all the misadventures of the organization sure, um, sure. we we actually went on to write uh, Alan went on to write another program called screenplay which was uh very exciting at the time because he uh came up with uh semi-intelligent autobots that walked around uh he came up with a structure where everything in the game had the potential to be a container and then everything had the potential to be a trigger and so you could put triggers on things like you could put a trigger on a light switch. And if you say you switch, it tells you the lights turned on and it changes the state of the light. Um, you could have uh, robots who walk up and, and exchange normal conversation like you get out of other bots unless you use a keyword. And then they could be triggered to say, oh, come to the side. Let me tell you the secret that no one else knows. And and this was all built in and automated it was a, a very exciting program called screenplay that's that sounds like a proto minecraft i have not played enough minecraft ah, to tell you well, but you uh, in, in minecraft you can actually make circuitry using a a special mm-hmm. special stone so people have made very simple logic circuits that then now there are people who have made you know calculators that take up twenty acres of land in the in in the game just to operate all these mechanical circuits. It's it's similar. You're giving people a you know a, a sandbox game, right? That's basically what that is. Is like a sandbox game. Well, it, yeah. I think it's really interesting because a lot of people, you know, video games are are now a very uh, accepted and I would even say mainstream thing. Like, uh, especially for, for, especially for kids and teens, uh, maybe less so for adults. There are, there seems to be based on my online interactions, a lot of adults out there who think that video games are, are just for kids, but a lot of adults play video games. And I think the, the number of people that play video games right now who remember what it was like long ago is very, is, is diminishing. Um, and not just because we're forgetting because we're all getting too old to remember things, but like for real, it's, it's there, the number of us who played games back then was such a fraction of a percentage compared to what it is now. It was not something that was seen as cool. It was not something that a lot of money got poured into, even in the burgeoning video game industry that you would consider what we have now, you know, consoles. And so 
the the thought of like, oh, it was so cool. There, you could have a a light switch on the wall, and if you triggered it, the light came on. It sounds so like, oh uh, yeah, that's a game. And it's like, but at the time, that was crazy. Like that was a a very cool new thing to code, to just code for fun in a in a virtual fake world, you know. And and I think it's really interesting how we we talk a lot about nascent technology for things like going to space, or we talk about computers a lot. People, you know, oh, computers used to be the size of a room and now it fits in your pocket. But we don't really, you know, hear a lot about what video games started as uh, outside of when they were consoles. Yep. You know, we, we, mm. we, everyone's like Pong and then Free forward, Pong. you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and so to that end, I, I took the paper that I wrote for the university for my graduation in 2012, um, and I put it out on Scribdy. So I can put the link, I can provide the link for you guys, you can provide it for your listeners. But this paper describes the whole course of Scepter of Goth's existence, including its 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 origins in the earliest games and Colossal Cave and stuff like that. And then uh, going on to, you know, what, what happened with Scepter of Goth, uh, what happened with our franchisees. I mean, this is part of the reason I feel legitimate in saying that, that Scepter... Uh, was the beginning of the commercial MMO industry is that many of our franchisees went on to become the leaders at Broderbund at uh, um, uh, the what was the place that did Guild Wars um, uh, EverQuest um, mm-hmm. World of Warcraft yeah uh, so there's there's names and pictures in the in the in the in the document of people who were our franchisees and then stayed in the video game industry and next thing you know you know they're they're running these various software companies uh turning out the games that that listeners are probably more familiar with than scepter of goth that's i think a lot when a lot of people think of the first mmo i bet you know everquest and uh uh ultima online are probably like the two big ones that come to mind right because that's you know what people think of with with video games more so is that for me it's studs the, uh, the classic door yes. game studs my sexual awakening which took place in uh, a series of ANSI penis and vaginas like it was uh it was a very yeah studs was a sex game literally it was, it was poker, a right? it was a uh it was a you, the game was fucking people that oh. was the whole game it was uh you were a person getting laid uh and you had to fuck as many people as you could and you saw the fucking very graphically it was a hilarious door game well partially graphically at least yeah all i remember is playing it i was like 15 and I was like, this game, this game is really cool. This is very, this is very great. And like single. you'd hear, uh, you'd hear like the, the upstairs door open or whatever that would, that meant someone was coming down toward the computer room and it'd be like, shit, 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 shit get out of this game. In high school, we had the 110 baud teletype and people figured out how to exchange radio teletype images. Have you heard of these? no. It's basically you the teletype types over the same line and it has the shading calculations in there. And so okay. if you started it going and then were able to hide it running for half an hour, <laughs> you'd come out of it with a black and white text version of a Playboy centerfold. You know? That's and so you can uh-huh. Yeah. That's like uh, yeah. printing out printing out dirty pictures on your uh, dot matrix printer. 
And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, the ink got uh, dry, dry faster. Like, <laughs> the internet really is you know, for porn. Funny. It is for porn. I, I, I was involved in the late 80s in the Usenet discussion groups around the development of the JPEG image protocol. Oh, sure. And, and the thing that people were really, really focused on in developing the JPEG protocol was eliminating terracing effects in skin tones. Ah. <laughs> yep. If you had a shaded bit of someone's body, let's say a shoulder or an arm, yeah. Some tasteful, um, you, some didn't curvature. These, you didn't want to get these terraced rings yep. that yep. indicated... You know, you want that, that shading to be smooth and yep. subtle and really note the verisimilitude. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, how much how much of our current streaming service, you know, multi-empires own their compression algorithms to, to porn and things like that, right? Where, yep. um, you know, I mean, that's in that Molly mentioned Pam and Tommy earlier, but honestly, like that that show, that fictionalized retelling of, of uh, Pam Anderson and, and Tommy Lee's sex tape, thing which is a great show it's great um a big part of that show is someone digitized that tape and they put it on a website and no one had really done that before with like famous porn and that was um you know like proto like cam girling Mm -hmm. ranches and Mm -hmm. things like that are a part of that of that show and like um I mean, like, why did Blu-ray succeed and HD DVD failed? Why did Betamax fail and VHS succeeded? It's all porn. Yeah, and, and I think what's really interesting is that, so out of curiosity, you said, you know, things kind of went down in 1987, and I know you went to school in, in, and graduated in 2012 and had this, you know, uh, reason to, to do all this research and write this paper. Did anything happen in the interim? Uh, like, what what happened in the interim or, or, you know, was there any interest? Did you guys still talk? Did you all pretty much just disband? Is it like one of those movies where everybody who worked on the project suddenly just, you know, disappeared into the ether? Uh, yeah, um, pretty much that's what happened. Um, by the time we were done, we were pretty darn burned out. I mean, we had started this company and then had it betrayed by our very first hire and then sold it to a guy and then had that collapse out from under us, uh, all in the space of three or four years. So that was I was I was baked. I was yeah. completely by the end of 1987. I was charred on a griddle. I was done. How old were um, you? Early twenties, mid twenties. Twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. That's yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, we all went our own ways. What What's funny though is that the girl I was seeing at the time. Her brother, I knew he worked at this really cool place at the U called the Microcomputer Center. Mm. I'd been there a couple times to see him, and I knew it was a cool place to work. So I went there and got a job there, and that's how I happened to be in the right place to be part of the Internet Gopher team, which was developed huh. there a year after I joined. So Silver lining. Just <laughs> coincidence, serendipity. So it, um, a name you explain you Gopher about? briefly. Yeah, just, yeah. Just in, okay. in brief. People so, don't understand what happened before search engines. So, kind of. Internet Gopher was the first time that you could search for something on the internet without knowing where it was already. Prior to Gopher, if you needed to find something, you called up a guy and you said, what's the IP address of your server? And he told you and you'd FTP in and you'd get the thing. But if you didn't know it was there, you couldn't find it. 
uh, Gopher abstracted a, an item's location away from its um, away from its content. So you didn't need to know where something was to get it. Gopher was the first time that you could search the internet and find something without knowing where it was in advance. Um, that was because Gopher provided uh, a, a basically folder and directory structure along with a search engine that we that was called Veronica that was, was tied into uh, uh, indexing what, what existed of the internet at the time, which was about 500 computers. Um, and so prior to the World Wide Web, Gopher was how you did the internet. Hmm. And in fact, the World Wide Web software got distributed on Gopher sites in order for people to start using it. Gopher was arguably the first viral application huh. because we we told people about it. They set up, they came to our FTP server, got a copy, set up their own Gopher server, made Gopher available on it, and that yeah. built the Gopher network. Literally viral. Back in 1912. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, so yeah, you were talking about cam girls, Nick. Um, <laughs> what am I not? Yeah, Nick, you're talking about you cam girls. Google, um, you could Google Anna Voog, A N A V O O G. Um, she is basically the world's first cam girl, and she was in St. Paul. Oh, that's awesome. So, you see, yeah. Jeremy's right. St. Paul isn't all bad. <laughs> and, and she, what she did was, she just set up a camera in her apartment. And simply walked around and lived her life while streaming it out onto yeah. the 2400 baud connected uh, information superhighway. There are people who are super into watching that. Like that's that's a thing yeah. current cam girls do. Was it subscription or was it just voyeuristic um, exhibitionist? Yeah, I think it was voyeuristic exhibitionist. In 1997, it was called Anacam. Um, oh shit! I and no, heard she, of Anacam. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So she yeah, was. When I was in college, I heard someone talk about that. That's crazy. I always, always just, like, I rubbed one out to that. <laughs> I was too busy. No, no, no. In 1997, I was showing the the other girls in my St. Kate's dorm that if you typed the word penis into web crawler, uh, you could find all of the, or just porn, you could find all the porn you wanted. Oh, <laughs> well, you're welcome. Thank you. No, thank you, truly, because it was one of the first times I ever made friends. Uh, it's it's you know, a true story. I, I had no friends in college. I had I had been my whole freshman year with no friends. And my girlfriend dumped me over email. Uh, and and I was just bereft. And I was lonely. And I was I was at school for J term. And there were three girls down in the computer lab of our shared dorm. And I happened to be walking by and I was big into computers. I'd been on, at that point, I was like a computer nerd. I had been on computers for four years and everyone thought that was insane. Uh, I was at the time majoring in computer programming because it was before I figured out that what I like about computers was not going to get me a computer programming degree. But um, I walked by and they were all whispering very dramatically at each other. And so I just kind of peeked in. I was like, do you guys need help? And like, oh, um, uh, no. And one of them goes, I heard there's porn on computers. Is that is that real? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, hang on. Like, how do you find it? And I was like, brought up the web crawler, typed porn and hit enter. And we spent the next three hours looking at porn. Nice. <laughs> and it was amazing. Alta Vista. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the internet. 
Well, Bob, uh, right. is what else? I mean, what else do you? So it's been forty years. When you look back, what do you? What what's do you? What's the think? legacy? Yeah, what's the legacy? Forty years on. Um, well, I mean, I've since written a song with our, our friend Jeffrey Brown called uh, I'm Sorry I Invented the Internet, uh, <laughs> where I apologize for my contributions to all of the present day troubles. Um, I mean, it's it's certainly been a very exciting and uh, it remains. I, I think I was just saying the other day, I was driving along through the middle of nowhere in Arizona and I was on the Internet and I'm like, I'm fucking on the Internet in the middle of nowhere in Arizona, yeah. there are bits. It's right here. It's right. And You're soaking in it. <laughs> right. and, and I mean, my internet used to be provided with a 110 baud acoustic modem over a party line phone Oof. in outstate Minnesota. So that if the <laughs> neighbors picked up the phone to make a phone call, what the hell is that noise? <laughs> it would disconnect me. Oh, yeah. 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 Same. I didn't have a party line, but yeah, my mom was uh, real disrespectful of my time. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do, uh, do mom, I'm dialed in. Do old computers recognize you when they see you in a bar? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like if you go into like a like a county library. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> they're they're like, like you know, you know who that own. is? QX five five forty eight seventy two. That's Bob Alberti. Hey, uh, this scotch is from the Amigo over there in the corner. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for talking to us about this. This has been really, really fun. Uh, but it's time for five questions. Five, five questions. questions. And Bob, you have yet answered our five questions uh, because very few people have hint, hints <laughs> to the listeners. <clears throat> so, Bob, we're going to start with Nick asking you question one. Hey, Bob, what's a game you've played recently that you really enjoyed? I have been spending way too much time in Skyrim in Oculus. Mm. So put on the thing, look all around, everything is happening all around you. That's, Are you good at it? That would be like my nightmare. I am 3D stuff is not for me. She can't do FPS. Oh, I, yeah, I don't VR. have any I don't have any kind of motion sickness or any kind of stuff. I can spend hours and hours in there. Um it, basically my face starts to hurt from the mask is what happens. Yeah, I would think I would think the and, neck pain would be the problem more than anything. Yeah. Well, Are that's, you like, that's, Sorry, sorry. I was going to say that's the problem with the miniature golf game is that you end up looking down at the oh, golf yeah. ball and it strains the back of your neck. Otherwise, I love the mini golf game. It's great. Skyrim has fighting. Like, are you and you're in the fight? Is it like, I guess when I say, are you good at it? I guess uh, when I oh. play even first person games, I, I'm getting attacked from behind and I can't figure it out. I'm really bad at that sense. Are you're you like a, whirling I'm, around? I'm Asher like, into flailer. Are you whirling around and like doing no, all the things? No, no, no. I, I am. I am the stealth archer. Uh, okay. I, I am a half a mile away and I am picking them off before I then know I'm there. Um, oh, now, man. if I get jumped by a wolf or something, oh, yeah, I'm spinning around, tangling myself up in my USB cable, <laughs> trying to shoot this thing with an arrow from one foot away. It's a ton of fun, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to just watch <laughs> other people play VR games. Like, that's what I want to do. You I want to Twitch Oh, I don't want to be on Twitch. <laughs> you got, no, you got you to take, you gotta take a cue from Legolas, Bob. You just, you just take the arrow and you stab the wolf in the face. That's that's what Legolas I, would I, do. 
If the game mechanics allowed that, I would certainly do mm. it. Well, they should. Yeah, see, I don't want to watch what he's watching. I want to watch Bob in, in meat space thrashing right. around and, and, and stuff. <laughs> All right, Tim, question two. Only fans for Bob just thrashing around in meat space. Uh, Bob, question number two. What science, what's a science factor discovery that you think is really fucking cool? Well, as I mentioned, I didn't graduate college till 2012. And one of the classes I had to take was biology because mm. uh, I had not taken that. Um, and I learned about hydrogen pumps. Um, they, are, they are molecules that straddle the cell wall and pump ionic hydrogen, which is to say individual protons without electrons from one side of the cell wall to the other. Um, and they're purely mechanical uh, some crazy scientist used some kind of chemistry to attach a handle to one of these hydrogen pumps and then used magnetic fields to rotate it in the opposite direction and it would work backwards. So he could move pump, he could pump ions back and forth across the cell wall. It's, it's, it's machine. It's a machine. That is and there are so cool. trillions of them in, in your body working right now to keep you alive. And it's amazing. <laughs> yes. It's nanotechnology. That is so cool. And they, oh man, that's great. Okay. Question three. Where do you get your sense of right and wrong from since it's not religion? Um, well, you know, people ask writers where they get their ideas from and they ask comedians where they get their jokes from. I use the same company to get my moral, <laughs> my moral reckoning, my moral rectitude from them. Um, so you just write away to this uh, P.O. box in Schenectady, New York, and uh, self-addressed stamped envelope, and they'll send you right and wrong. It's it's really convenient. Oh, that's where I got ordained. Classic, yeah. classic comedy name. <laughs> <laughs> Kalamazoo. <laughs> yeah, well, Sheboygan it gets overused. So. Yeah, yeah, Schenectady yeah. is. Yeah, I think you'd be more about the Albuquerque these days, wouldn't you, Bob? What's the uh, What's right? the one that they were always? It's a Walla Walla Washington. Walla Walla Washington. I watched a lot of TV in the eighties. <laughs> Yep. Uh, question four. If you could build a robot to perfectly perform one chore or task for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Uh, I would I would have a fascist punch bot. Uh, that would be a punch bot that goes around finding fascists and then punching them in the face. Put a chore uh, for you? Punching fascists. <laughs> it, it, well, I mean, it, 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 you know, it's a lot of work. Um, it but can it hurt your hand. It can hurt your hand a lot. Boxing yeah, gloves. Yeah. Boxing gloves is well, kind. You know, it is not meant to be lethal. It's meant simply to make them shut the fuck up. Um, yeah. And you it's know, a so, yeah, yeah. That's what I. That's what we really need because there's too many of them right now and they're way too loud. You know, you could like build it. Idea. You know, to save materials, you could build it at groin height, and then it's just <laughs> punching everybody in the groin. And I know what you're thinking that like, you know, that's, that's more toward, you know, penis havers than, than not. But if you've ever gotten really clubbed in the clam, I'm telling you, it is not comfortable. So I think either way yeah. you're doing a service. I, I, I think you're the only person who can really weigh in on that topic here, but uh, I'll agree with you. I, I guarantee somebody else who's listening has been, has been really knocked has, in the clam. I, it's a, it's, it happens. <laughs> and now that. we have a topic for our next podcast. Uh, question number five. <laughs> What is a movie or TV show you think everyone should watch? Uh, don't look up. Mm -hmm. uh, that that is such a well done satire that it it's remains evergreen. Um, it. it was made. 
to be a satire of climate change. It then immediately became a satire of Trumpism. And after Trump left office, it be, has become a satire of, of our, our, our push towards fascism. It, it, it is a very well done satire. Uh, and if you watch that and you don't feel depressed afterwards, you, you have a stronger uh, constitution than I do because, oh, God, that is a dark movie. <laughs> it um, Or, or uh, uh, like, mask and vaccine deniers, like our, our yeah. COVID response, I feel like, as well, to, to COVID, some extent. Yeah, I left out COVID, exactly. Yeah, I, There's so much now. Yeah, There's um, so much of it. It, it, I saw someone talking about that movie just today on Twitter or something and it, within the context of, you know, what the fuck could it possibly take to get America to change directions? It's not, it's not rampant gun violence. It's not a coup attempt. It's not a lethal pandemic. Like nothing will stop America oh. on its current trajectory. Nope. Well, I mean, it depends on how you define America, because like well, I know what would stop America on its current trajectory, but getting people to do it would be very difficult. Yeah, sure. And that'd a be general a general strike. strike. Yeah. Yeah. If we all stopped working for one afternoon, Wall Street would come to its knees. But it'll never happen. You know, it'll never happen. And the reason is even if you're at your job and you're like and people are like, Man, unions are so great. It's like, yeah. We should maybe think about forming one. Everyone goes, oh. Oh, that sounds oh, like a lot of work. And I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> General strike. Yeah, so. What rants? Oh, oh. Well, Bob, thank yep. you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful talking about the 40th anniversary of Scepter of Goth uh, and the internet, everything. Go for all of it. Uh, really, truly. Uh, it's just so it's just so cool to talk about this with you, uh, having been such a young nerd where this was such a this is literally how I ended up meeting my husband. This is like all of my <laughs> longest friends. I know because I was on Citadel BBSs with them. You know, all of my I feel like I'm I am a chronically online person and I have been since online wasn't a term, you know, so it's <laughs> it's uh it's just really fun to talk about this with you. So thank you. Uh, if you want to answer our five questions like Bob did, you can answer them by sending your answers to five questions at geekswithoutgod.com. Uh, we have a Patreon account. We are on Facebook and the Twitter for all that's worth my God. Uh, and thank you so much for listening to us. I'm just going to stop because I always do this and I can't end the episodes anymore. So thank you. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. You didn't say it. You yeah. didn't say it. What happened? I said see you next week! And to show how your perception of time changes, when I was a kid, I assumed my parents had been on the Oregon Trail. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We don't recognize moral authority. We don't accept divine superiority. We're geeks, geeks without God. Until next time, you can find us blogging at geekswithoutgod.com. You can follow us on Twitter at geekswithoutgod, and you can even like us on Facebook. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, we're geeks, we're geeks without God. We're geeks, geeks without God. The stupidest fucking thing I saw, and I maybe I'm the idiot, and this is a real thing. Well, I- oh, we can't hear you anymore, Molly.